Welcome, everybody, to episode number 34 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. Pickett's tape begins with 15 minutes of pre-Great White crowd noise. Recorded background music and snippets of pleasant conversations between himself and Joe Christina. Talk of other concerts, speculation as to when Great White will come on. Then Dr. Metal can be heard on stage hawking Budweiser and pumping up the crowd. A few minutes later, the opening chords of Great White's Desert Moon are reproduced with perfect digital fidelity. Eight bars of instrumental introduction, then crowd roar as the gerbs erupt. Twelve more bars of introduction before Jack Russell's voice begin. Great White's front man is into his second line of lyrics when a girl yells, get out, fire. Three seconds later, the band stops playing. Mark Kendall's lead guitar line is the last trail to riff off. Four seconds thereafter, at 17 minutes and 34 seconds into Matthew Pickett's tape, Jack Russell declares, wow, that's not good. That is a short excerpt from the book Killer Show by John Berrylick, and it details the tragedy that is the Station Nightclub fire, and I thought it appropriate to start the podcast off with that, especially since just yesterday was the anniversary, February 20th, 2003, of the Station Nightclub fire. And with all the things going on in the fire service today, with all the things going on about fire captains getting suspended for making rescues, and we just had two line of duty deaths in Porterville, and then all the other things that are taking our attention away, I thought that it was appropriate to try to bring us back into some focus. Because February 20th, 2003, that is where our focus should be. And you can apply that to any, any major fire, right? You can apply that to the Iroquois Theater fire. You can apply that to the Beverly Hills Supper Club fire. You can apply it to the Station Nightclub fire, the MGM Grand, One Meridian Plaza. You can even apply it to your last regular house fire, your last kitchen fire, whatever. But that... Those dates in history are what our focus should be every single day. That is what we get paid for. That is what we get our, our great pension for. And even if you're a volunteer, that's what you get your perks from. I know when I volunteered, I got a free county sticker and a tax break and all that kind of stuff. So that's what you're getting all those perks for. Sure, fire prevention activities, other all-hazard stuff are important because it's gotten to the point where if the fire department doesn't do them, who else is going to do them? It really has gotten to that point. You used to be able to say, well, this third-party service will take care of that or that third-party service will take care of that. But in the reality, it's pretty much the fire service has become and the fire department has become 
a complete catch-all. So if we don't do those other things, look, if we don't go put up smoke detectors, no one else is going to do it, okay? It's clear. The, the, the citizens in your, you know, the, the irresponsible citizens in your district are not going to put up their own smoke detectors. They're just not going to do it. So if we go on an EMS call and we see that the smoke detector needs to get put, we need to do it, okay? We need to do it. I'm not, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. What I am saying is that if the focus of your fire department and of our fire service is not on fire suppression first, we are messing up. Our compass point is off. That is the direction we should always be traveling every single day. And fire chiefs, battalion chiefs, company officers, it's your job to make sure that our focus is that way. I fall into that line of company officer. So it's my job to make sure that our focus is that every day, that service delivery. And yeah, I'm talking about critical EMS calls too. In the, in the, in the age of mass shootings, in the age of mass shootings, we have to be ready to go to work in those hostile environments. And those things should be our focus every single day. Our first, second, third, fourth, and fifth priority. How, when that station nightclub fire happens in your district, it may be only happen once in your career, but you have got to be ready for it, and that has to be our focus. So with all this other talk, with this person and that person getting suspended and, and, and the tragic death of the firefighters in Porterville, uh, in California. And, and if you haven't looked at any of the articles or listened, uh, the, the audio is out on that. Give it a listen. Those guys, you know, there's always a lot of speculation and we are the absolute worst. The absolute worst when it comes to that, right? We will throw our supposed brothers under the bus. I've seen so many comments that are just absolutely disgusting with people making comments about with minimal information. People that were that live, you know, thousands of miles away. Like, why were those guys in that library? Well, hey, if you listen to the radio traffic, they thought there was a victim in there. So what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? I get it. Right? If it's heavy involved in fire, we should be putting water first. If the structural you know, stability is a little bit off, maybe we hold off. But we still eventually have to go in there and search for them. We can't just leave them. Or you have to search the places that you can go search. Okay, maybe the side C part of the building is unoccupiable, even with water going first with the structure. But if the A side of the building, we can make a quick sweep through the A side. We can make a quick, a quick sweep through the B side. We do what we can. That's what we're paid for. I don't have a death wish. I don't have a death wish. I want to come home to my wife and kids. In fact, I live a pretty boring life. I'm not a thrill seeker at all. I'm not a thrill seeker at all. I live a pretty boring life and I'm fine with that. You give me a, rec a comfy recliner and a cold beer and some good food, I'm pretty happy. And that's good. I'm glad with that, right? And I don't think most people in the fire service are very different. Nobody's coming to work saying, well, going to die today. Not even the most aggressive firefighters that I've ever met. But we have to do what we were hired to do or what we volunteered to do. And I'm not saying we should run balls to the walls in some of these buildings, but we do what we can. Okay, if it's a large area building 
If it's a large area building, then force the doors you can. Do a quick search of the egress points and then get out. That's, you know, I don't think that's asking too much. I don't think that's asking too much. Do a quick sweep of the area right by the door, maybe even 50 feet in the, in the building, and then get out. What's wrong with that? Especially if it's a huge place that's zero visibility, blah, 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 all those things. But stop making comments when you don't even have a third of the information. You don't even have a third of the information. Stop throwing our brothers and sister firefighters under the bus. There's a fire department that's in mourning and there's a fam there's families that are in mourning and you guys are killing them on Facebook and Twitter and firehouse forums and any other sort of social media site that's out there. Let the story come out and you can guarantee that if those guys you know, heaven forbid they did do something wrong, right? Maybe they did do something wrong. That story will come out. You don't have to be the first to jump on them before the information's out there. And I kind of got off on a little tangent about that, but but I really want the fire service and the listeners of this podcast to refocus our energy. I know it can get bogged down. It's It's cold here in Virginia today. You can get bogged down. You can get disenchanted with your administration. I, it happens. We all have roller coasters through our career. But st- use this point to get refocused. Use this point to get recalibrated on our mission. And I hope what I'm going to talk about today kind of puts you in that in that mindset. I'm going to go over. And again, I didn't come up with this list. It was given to me by one of the greatest firemen that I've ever met, one of my mentors in my fire department. Um, And it's the Ten Commandments of the First Duke Company Officer. And these are fire ground based. There's an article going around out there by uh, Steve Przbrowski from uh, San Francisco, I believe, uh, that if you put Ten Commandments of a Company Officer or a Fire Officer, he it, it it but it's a lot of human resources based and no and no knock on on Steve we need those skills too trust me you're going to spend a lot of time in the firehouse with the 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 men and women that you work with but i want to refocus us to the fire ground okay because if we fail at the fire ground nothing else matters you can be the best and nicest company officer you can take care of all your people but if you go to a fire and screw up it doesn't matter it doesn't matter all the other stuff is just window dressing. It's just tinsel, okay? If you took a horrible Christmas present, put it in a box, and wrapped it up with the prettiest Christmas paper, once you opened up that paper, it's still a crappy present. And that's not what we should be as a fire service, and that's not what you should be as a company officer. So I want to talk about these 10 commandments of a company officer And again, I didn't come up with this list. This is how I was trained. This is how I was taught to be a company officer. I still follow a whole lot of these, and I think they're valuable for every fire officer out there, whether you're a current fire officer, you know, this is for engine companies, okay? But if you're an engine company officer, or you're an acting company officer, or you're striving to be a company officer, these are going to help you. If you follow these 10 commandments, like I've dug throughout my career ever since I, I was I was given these in 2004 when I 
got out of my recruit school. This is one of the first things that, you know, uh, and again, it's something I've taken from this guy. Again, he's one of my biggest mentors. Uh, he presented me with a book with all his expectations and a lot of and, and expectations of the, uh, that he has for the company officers and all those things. And it was a great learning tool for day one as a rookie firefighter to know exactly what he expected of me and he expected of my bosses so that I knew what I would I was to expect from him and from the leadership that I had. So it was a great, great learning tool. And I recommend everybody doing that. So let's get into it here. The Ten Commandments of a Company Officer. And again, these are fire ground based. Okay, these are fire ground based. All right. Commandment number one. First in, lay in. Be self-sufficient with water supply. And I know this is going to cause a lot of controversy, right? Um, you know, first in, lay in is in quotes. You know, and again, I'm a big believer in the first in engine, lay in line. We do that historically in my fire department. However, you know, and being self-sufficient with your with your water supply, what that what that really means though, first in line, is that you need to make sure that you, as the first due company officer, have a plan for your water supply assignment. And you need to share that plan with everybody that's coming. You need to share that plan with everybody that's coming. Okay? So being so you shouldn't have to be trying to piecemeal it while you're trying to do your 360, tell your guys which line to stretch, you know, estimating the stretch, all of those things. You shouldn't be having to do that. I know our water supply in, in, in my fire department sounds a lot like this. Engine one to engine two. There's a hydrant at the corner of first and main. We're going to be doing a forward lay to the fire. Pump to us. Simple. Now, that water supply plan should be in place. If it's something off the wall, like, hey, we don't have an address. We're going to an intersection. Engine one to engine two. There's a hydrant at the corner of third and branch. Stand by that hydrant. And we'll tell you to lay to us or not if we find there there's a fire. That's okay too, right? You're self-sufficient with your water supply. You've got a plan. Because I know there's lots of fire departments that are tank water departments, and that's all good. But don't negate your water supply. That's your first commandment as a company officer, for, especially for the fire ground. Don't negate that water supply. Don't negate that water supply. Don't forget it. Because tank water puts out a lot of fires. But I know the last couple of fires that, that I've been on, tank water wasn't going to get it done. Tank water was not going to get it done. So we have to have that water supply plan in place. And whatever your plan is, communicate it. Okay, so commandment number two, preparation rules the fire ground. No matter if you are first due or last due. I expect you to employ pre-arrival instructions to other companies when you're first due. They should be specific to assign normal critical tasks, i.e. writ, FDC support, and additional water supply. Essentially is a good plan helps you helps you from making a mistake, right? Uh, we have what we call SORC assignments, and they are tactical template based so that if you don't know what you should be doing, you can always reference those, but we have the ability to change them based on the building, based on our familiarity with that. And so if you're going to change those things, you have to communicate them, but be prepared. And it goes even deeper than giving pre-arrival instructions, right? Preparation rules the fire ground. You should be training every day. We talk about those three hours every podcast. I've done an entire podcast about the three hours you should be doing. 
preparation rules the fire ground. You are going, if you want to be successful, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be stretching lines. You've got to be in shape. You've got to be training. You've got to be studying your district. If you go on that EMS call, take a look around the building real quick. And and if you're feeling froggy, you know, and I always, you know, when I was an engine company officer, I always was, hey, don't position this engine for the EMS call. Position the engine like you're going to a fire. So, hey, all right, I want you to position this engine like we were going to pull the bumper line to the front door. So do it. And then we go in there, we take care of grandma. And when grandma gets in the ambulance and goes to the hospital, we're positioned for the fire. So now we can talk about the stretch. We can talk about what was good and what was bad about the position. What would you would do better next time? Would you rather pull past this house? Or was the bumper line good? We only carried 150 feet in the bumper on the last engine I was an officer of. So is that going to be enough? Do we need to piece in a section? Should we just go ahead and pull a cross lay? Is it going to be more difficult to do the cross lay because we've got the front bumper? Pull? All those things. And then if you're still feeling froggy, just stretch the line. Takes five minutes. Just pull the line to the front door. Okay, cool. This stretch worked. Oh, no, it didn't. We were going to come up short. Cool. Now pack it back. Go back in service. An extra 10, 15, 20 minutes to get a valuable set of rep. So preparation rules that fire ground. Number three, know your enemy. That's been stated a million times. Francis Brannigan, Vincent Dunn, all of them. Our enemy is fire. Now, our battleground is buildings. So we should know them both, right? Our battleground is buildings. And our enemy is fire. So we should be educated on both of those things. We should be educated in building construction. We should have we should be educated in fire behavior a whole lot more than the the two lessons in firefighter one and two that you get. We should be educated in fire behavior. We should be going out and walking through buildings. We should be going out and creating pre-fire plans. We should be going out and doing all those things. Again, fire ground focus, focused for the fire ground. Commandment number four, prepare for the worst and you will never be surprised. Some people have a real heartache with that. Some people have a real, real heartache with that because they're like, oh, you're such a, ne a negative person. No, it's not being negative. It's that the worst case scenario for this building is what it is. And if we're ready for that, then we're ready for anything. Guess what? The worst case scenario for the station nightclub fire was for those hundred some people to die and for the 200 injuries they had. And for the West Warwick, Rhode Island Fire Department, that's probably the worst fire that they've had ever. They have to be ready for that. We have to learn from history and be ready for that. If you've got a similar, I know in the district that I came up in, we've got five station nightclubs. There's five of them. Now, granted, our, our inspection program and our... Uh, Prevention program is a whole lot beefier than what it was in West Warwick at the time. But we've got five, you know, in the district that I came up in, there was five station nightclubs and they're all within like a mile of each other. So 
you better daggone sure be prepared for that. I guarantee if you ride around your district enough, there's probably a little bar or a little honky-tonk or a little thing that does live music that could turn into a station nightclub. I guarantee it. Are you ready for it? Where's your closest water supply to it? When's the last time you flowed a two and a half? When's the last time you had to do a portable master stream? When's the last time you did a leader line? All things that you're probably going to have to do if a popular act comes to one of these places. You, people are going to be parking all over the place. How are you going to, are you going to be able to position the engine the right way? No, you're probably going to have to stretch beyond the pre-connect. When's the last time you did it? Do you have a bulk hose bed? My fire department, we're not big on bulk hose beds. We're a very much a pre-connect fire department. So when we go bulk hose load, it takes time. Even when we drill it, when we go to our bulk bed of three inch, it takes time to get it in place. So do those things. Prepare for the worst. You'll never be surprised. Commandment number five. Remember, the buildings that God likes have automatic sprinklers in them. Support them ASAP. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory, right? If there's a building with a sprinkler system in it, we need to have a company on that FTC pumping the sprinkler. If there's a building with a standpipe in it, we need to have a company on that FTC, I mean, within the first few minutes of the incident. Because maybe that fire has overcome the one or two heads that's popped off and a little bit of extra water can beef it up and we can suppress that fire until we can get in there and knock it down the rest of the way. Remember, sprinklers are not to put the fire out. Sprinklers are to buy time for the people to get out. So wouldn't we want to provide them some extra time if they're still evacuating and still trying to get, we don't want that fire to keep growing. Yeah, of course, that first new engine, yeah, get up there, get to that standpipe or get a line stretched in there. But man, get a guy, an engine on that FTC and pump the crap out of that sprinkler so that we can buy even more time for the possible victims that could still be in there or buy them more time for them to self-evacuate. That's crucial, crucial, crucial. So if you're not assigning a company to the FTC, if that's not on your run card, man, you need to make sure that that's, uh, you need to go, you need to change something. You need to go talk to your, to your leadership and be like, hey, we need to make a decision that we need to put our second engine on this FTC or our third, whatever it is, whatever order, okay? Even if it's your first engine, I know a lot of fire departments that do that. They'll abandon, they'll get their crew off, They'll drop their crew at the front door. They'll take all their equipment, and then that engine will drive around to the FTC. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, my fire department operated a lot like that when we were sending just you know two engines and a and a couple trucks or three engines and, a, and two trucks to high rise buildings and buildings with standpipes. Now we've beefed that up exponentially. Um, but when we did, we would do that because it was the fastest way to get water up to the to the sprinkler and the standpipe. So there's nothing wrong with that. We've changed, but there's nothing wrong with operating like that, especially if you come from a little smaller department. Commandment number six. No matter how distasteful rapid intervention team assignment is, your wife and family think it's a great idea. This one's a little controversial as well, but but I tend to agree with it. Um, and if you're assigned a writ, it, it can be a little distasteful, right? Because you don't want to be, you, you feel like you're missing something. But there's a lot to be done with writ. And I hate to see the guys that are assigned writ 
and they're just hanging out underneath the shade tree. They don't have a line dedicated to them. They don't have a, a you know, their, their firefighter writ pack. They don't have a search line. They don't have anything, right? They don't have anything. So what are they even really doing? They're not providing me any safety. First thing you need to do on writ is the writ officer needs to make a 360. And he's not assessing it for any for for like for like the original 360, like the first two company officer. He's assessing it for anything that could get a firefighter hurt. I talk about the four B's of the 360, the bombs. Anything that can hurt a firefighter, B for bombs, anything that can hurt a firefighter. I mean, bars on the windows, uh, a, a, wind, a ladder that hasn't been thrown into a division yet. Like if it's a two-story house and there's no ladders to division two and we got guys operating up there and there's no ladder been thrown, you know, the, uh, there's uh, uh, power lines, down, all that kind of stuff. Anything that can hurt a firefighter, that's what that writ officer needs to be looking for. And he needs to then mitigate that. You can be an active writ. In fact, you should be a proactive writ. Should have eyes on the building. And let's be honest, folks. Like, I know that it takes more than two, three people to, to rescue a firefighter. It's been well established. But the faster we have somebody assigned to that and the more proactive we are, man, I guarantee your wife and kids think that's great. I guarantee your wife and kids think it's great that somebody at a fire is mandated to watch your back. What they probably wouldn't think is great is they know that 90% of you, 90% of you, sit there with your mask hanging and leaning on your tools. That's not how we should be doing RIT. And I'm not telling you how to, you know, I'm not telling you, you know, to go against your department SOPs or SOGs or anything like that. But what I am telling you is that you can do more as a RIT than, or RIC, whatever you want to call it, wherever you're from, or FAST, whatever you want to call it. You can do more as a firefighter safety team than just stand there and stare at the house. You can be proactive and you can make a difference so that maybe you don't have to deploy to rescue that firefighter. And company officers, I mean, uh, not company officers, incident commanders. Beef up those writ assignments. Beef up those writ assignments. Like our, our, our IRIC, our initial rapid intervention company is, uh, or rapid intervention team, uh, people still use it interchangeably, is two people. But then when we get another engine there, we'll beef it up so it can be four people. That's great. If, if, depending on the size of the building, you may need more than one. You may need more than one red team, or you may need one in reserve. So just beef that up, man. It's important. And especially as we're, if we're getting more and more, I mean, you know, again, go back and listen to the Porterville uh, Mayday traffic. It took a lot of people to rescue those guys. It took a lot of people to rescue. Multiple companies deployed and redeployed. But the faster we can get that first company to them and we can bring them what they need, which is usually air and water, not water to drink, water to keep the fire off of them and air so that they can they can keep breathing. Man, that, that's that's great. So those two guys can be a fast boom, get to them, plant the flag, protect them, re-air them, start to move them that way. And then as more people come, we can help them, help them, help them. But it ain't going to matter if you don't have anybody assigned to it. And it certainly isn't going to matter if you're not ready to deploy. And I guarantee everybody's family thinks it's great that there's people on the fire scenes watching their back. So next time you get assigned a writ, don't get pissed off. Do it the right way. Grab ladders, grab tools, grab search ropes. Get in there. Make that building as safe as you can. And then be ready to deploy at a moment's notice. Commandment number seven, 
and this is specific to my fire department, but it could apply to yours. Okay. It could apply to yours. If this is really specific to anybody that's operating with low manpower, and that's most fire departments in the country these days. Okay. We, I, I've said this before on multiple podcasts, we ride three person suppression pieces and two person fire medic units. Now our suppression pieces are a driver, a company officer or acting company officer and a firefighter riding backwards. Same for our truck companies, same for our heavy rescues. That's how we ride suppression pieces. Every once in a while, we'll have a fourth or fifth guy. But for the most part, that's pretty standard. Our fire medic units are a BLS firefighter, basic life support firefighter, and an ALS firefighter, advanced life support firefighter. Now, in our fire medics, we call them fire medics for a reason. Because they have air packs. You carry your gear on it. They have a set of irons. They have water cans. We can deploy to rescue someone. We can deploy. I mean, shoot, just the other day, the, the fire medic unit uh, put a car fire out with the water can that was on the ambulance. Okay, so we are fire medic units. And so this commandment number seven, everyone must be a soldier on a three-man engine, truck, and the ambulance. Lead your company into battle, not send them. No sidewalk commanders. Don't split your crew or give them up for adoption. All personnel should be trained to be an ambulance attendant in charge. And that's kind of a specific thing for our fire department, but it's true. You're a first-in company officer. Once you get your 360 done, and this is exactly how the sequence of events goes in, in my fire department, uh, you know, First in engine company officer pulls up, they give an initial on-scene report, they hop out the rig, they grab a tool, usually a hook in the usually a hook in the tick, so they can be a little bit mobile. They do a quick 360, they announce the operational mode, work and fire, whatever, and then they're the second person on the hose line. That backwards firefighter is stretching a line, the driver make, makes sure it's all clear the bed, and then we're charging a line and we're going to get the fire. That firefighter on the nozzle. If it's a difficult stretch or if it's a, a complicated building, he can't afford for that company officer to be standing out there giving a Shakespeare-style soliloquy while he's in there trying to make an impact on a fire. Additionally, if he's in there by himself, what's he going to do if he finds a victim? That company officer's got to get in there and get after it. So we don't have the option for there to be all these sidewalk commanders. And we don't have the option for you to go, oh, hey, my guy's in there. Go ahead and, and get in there. And I know most of you guys operating in the rest of the country are like that. I know most of you guys operating in the rest of the country are a lot like that. Some of you might even be operating with two. Even if you're operating with four, it still takes that company officer getting in that building. So lead your company into battle. And when you're a three-person engine, a three-person truck, a three-person heavy rescue, two-person ambulance, we ain't got time for you to hide. You've got to be ready. You've got to be a soldier. Just because you've got a, a bugle on your hat or multiple bugles on your hat, if you're riding that engine today, you've got to work. We need you to work. And that's what it's got to be. we got to get in there and get after it. Because a lot of these fires get put out by the first or, and second companies. Most of the fires that don't get put out by the first and second companies were there all night. So a good, aggressive company, smart, but aggressive company can get in there and get after it with everybody working. That's better for us, it's better for the victims, better for their property, better for everybody. But it doesn't work if you're not ready. It doesn't work if you're not prepared. 
doesn't work if you don't show up to go play in the snow. Okay, it does not work. So everybody's got to be a soldier, even the driver. Driver, especially low manpower fire departments, man, drivers. I don't know why I keep, it's becoming more of a trend, especially in my fire department. See it the other day, going for a structure fire. And two of the like two of the first two engine drivers showed up in their station gear. I mean, that's cool if you don't feel comfortable driving the rig with your with your uh with your bunker pants on and stuff. But man, if you're the first two engine driver on a house fire, especially in a low manpower fire department, you need to be in your stuff. Because if one of your guys goes down, they don't have time for you to get geared up. I'm not saying walking around with an air pack on, but maybe that's what you have to do if you have no other help coming. But man. I know the the company that I was last uh, an engine officer on, we were out in the sticks. Our second due company was a good 15 minutes away on a good day. My driver's got to be ready to throw me a ladder or make an exterior rescue once he's got the first hand line charge or be ready to come and help me if I need help. That's I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's real. Okay, there's a difference. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not. I'm saying it's real. Okay, that's a real thing in the American Fire Service. You can quote NFPA to me all day. You can quote SOGs, SOPs. I'm telling you that it's real. It's a real situation that people have been in. I have seen drivers get burned because we all know what we're going to do, right? We all know what we're going to do. If you're outside, if you're outside, and your crew disappears, you've got the line going. You're hooked up to your hydrant. And Meemaw pops her head out the window, you're going to go rescue her, no matter what you're wearing, right? I know this. So why not just be ready for the rescue? If you're not comfortable driving in your bunker pants and your turnout coat, that's cool. When you get there and the line gets in service, and once they start flying, put your bunker pants and your coat on. Just do it real quick. You should be able to do it in 30 seconds. It shouldn't take that long. If you're not comfortable driving those things, when you go to the grocery store or the 1,400 EMS runs you go on every day, practice. Get in your gear. It doesn't take that long. But we need proactive people on low manpower engines. I can't just have a drive. And again, people are going to freak out about this. Oh, God, I can't believe you want your driver to get away from the pump panel. Yep, I want my driver to get away from the pump panel. And not only do I want that, I need that, especially in the first few phases of the incident. I need it. I need that driver to be ready for stuff that's going to happen. I need it to be my eyes. If I'm st stretching a line to the second floor and the truck company's not there yet, I need him to run around to the back side of the building and throw a ladder or throw it to the front side, wherever he needs to throw it. I need that to happen. I need that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I need that to happen. And in order for him to do that, he's got to get, he's got to be ready. So again, everyone must be a soldier on a three-man engine truck in the ambulance and the rescue company. Commandment number eight, don't sacrifice your safety for your comfort. Don't sacrifice your safety for your comfort. Wear your PPE and SCBA always. And I can tell you, guilty. I have sacrificed my safety for my comfort before and it sucked. I'm not gonna put it I'm not gonna put it any other way. I have sacrificed my safety for my comfort before and it's caused me to ingest smoke that I shouldn't have done. 
It's caused me to cut my hand. It's caused me to make several trips to the hospital that I shouldn't have had to make. And I've learned my lesson. Wear your PPE, folks. That's what it's there for. Wear your PPE. I can tell you, 100%, even if you don't wear it because it's the right thing to do, wear it so that you get covered if you get injured. Because I can tell you, even as a driver, and we talked about this already uh, with, with the everyone must be a soldier, but even as a driver, I can tell you the sequence of events. You're outside. You're in your station clothes. You're in your T-shirt, your boots, and your, and your pants. Meemaw pops out the window needs to be rescued. You're a fireman. You're doing the right thing. You grab that ladder. You run over. You spike it in the ground. You've probably got your work gloves on. You probably don't even have fire gloves on. You spike it in the ground. You throw that ladder. You climb that ladder and you go get Meemaw. You reach in that window and you burn your hands. You burn your arm. Yeah, you rescued Meemaw. You did. You rescued Meemaw. But guess what's not going to happen? Those burns, they're not going to be covered by workers' comp because the first thing they're going to ask you is were you wearing your appropriate PPE? And you have to say no. You have to say no. You got in the ideal, you got into an ideal age environment and didn't have your appropriate PPE on. And again, you can go crazy all over you want. You can tell me I'm dumb or whatever, but I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. Seen guys get cut on their arms, seen guys get, you know, inhale smoke. Seeing guys have to go to the hot, you know, oh, were you wearing your SCBA? Nope, no, that's not covered. So you can tell me all those things all you want, but I'm telling you, don't sacrifice your safety for your comfort, especially as we know what cancer is doing to us these days, folks. If you don't know a firefighter that has ha that has had cancer or has cancer, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. So wear your mask, wear your gear. Don't sacrifice your safety for your comfort. I'm not talking about being a gear Nazi or a safety Nazi or anything like that, but it's just the right way to do this. You want to be ultra aggressive? I'm down with that. Be dressed for being ultra aggressive. Wearing a t-shirt and running into a building is not ultra aggressive. It's ultra stupid. I want you to be a hard charging, butt kicking fireman. Just be, be dressed like a fireman. If you show up looking like a fireman, no one will ever question that you are one. No one will ever question that you are. They won't even have to ask you because they'll know they'll be able to look and tell. Commandment number nine. A good indicator of your preparation is your ability to have fun while executing your tactics. And again, this may be a controversial one as well. And may... And and this is probably comes off wrong, but firefighting's fun. Ray McCormick said it, you know, years and years ago at FDIC in his speech. Hi, my name is Ray, and I like to go to fires. Well, I echo his sentiments. I want to go to fires. I go to work every day wanting to go to a fire. It's not that I want to see anyone hurt. It's not that I want to see anyone's stuff destroyed. It's not that I want to see anything bad happen to people, but if it's going to happen, I want it to happen on the 24 hours that I'm working. I want to go to fires. It's what I was trained to do. It's what I was trained to do. It's been my life mission to go to fires. 
and to help people when their house catches on fire. That's what I want to do. So I'm good if there's a fire. I want to go to fires. And I've always found that the least stressful a fire was is when, man, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm prepared for this. I've always been more stressed, not when things went bad, but when I know things should be going better. When I know things should be going better because we're not prepared enough. We didn't stretch enough hose to cycle. Or we haven't done enough on this type of obstacle. In fact, I don't know if you follow me. If any of you guys that follow me on Instagram, the uh, you know Average Jake Firefighter Podcast Instagram, and on Twitter at Average Jake FF, we had a fire where we had an obstacle that we had to stretch over. And I had a new firefighter who had never had to do that. And so it didn't go as well as it should. So I wasn't having fun. But the... the so what did we do after that fire? The next shift day, I found something that was similar to that obstacle. And we practiced stretching over obstacles. And how to defeat them. And how to get over them. What's the best way to do it? So the next time, we'll be having a whole lot more fun if we're encountered with an obstacle. And lastly, commandment number 10. Remember, only three things matter. Preparation, optimum service delivery, and going home tomorrow in the same shape you came to work in, just more tired. Everything else we do is just tinsel and mirrors. And that's a great way to, to end the list. And I kind of started with that and I kind of ended with that. But that's really what it's all about. We should be preparing for the fire ground, for emergency services, for emergency incidents. We should be providing optimum service delivery. And we should try to go home in the same shape that we showed up in for the beginning of our shift. Just probably less, probably a little more tired. Probably a little more tired. In fact, you should be a little more tired. Everything else we do is just for show. It's tinsel and mirrors. It's not the primary mission. And so when we do it, we got to keep our focus. We have to do some of those other things. If not, if we're not going to, if, if we don't do them, who else is going to do them? No one else will put up smoke detectors. No one else is going to do, you know, hazard assessments, right? Like, no one's going to go walk around these buildings, right? Like, no one cares. And that's fine. We can do it. We can handle it. No one else is doing EMS. I mean, there's a couple third-party EMS agencies out there. But for the most part, that's a fire service job now. Who's doing it? You know, who else is going to do it? No one cares. No one else cares. We have to care. And we have to do it. And we have to be good at it. But our primary, primary focus Fireground operations, emergency incidents. That has to be the direction that we're pointed in all the time. And if you're not, it's time to refocus, recalibrate, and get back pointed the right way. You know, a lot of people, when you say compass point, maybe a lot of younger guys don't know what they mean. Put that direction in your GPS and start heading that way. Okay? Pull out your iPhone or your Android, or whatever that you, whatever you use to get directions, fire ground operations in the directions, hit 
directions and start heading that way. Okay, that's where we need to be headed. That's where our focus needs to be. So I'll run down the list again really quick for anybody that might have missed it. Ten commandments of a company officer. One, first in, lay in. Two, preparation rules the fire ground. Three, know your enemy. Four, prepare for the worst and you'll never be surprised. Five, remember the buildings that God likes have auto sprinklers in them. Support them ASAP. Six, no matter how distasteful writ assignment is, your wife and family think it's a great idea. Seven, everyone must be a soldier on a three-man engine truck in the ambulance. Eight, don't sacrifice your safety for your comfort. Nine, a good indicator of your preparation is your ability to have fun while executing your tactics. And 10, remember only three things really matter. Preparation, optimum service delivery, and going home tomorrow in the same shape you came in to work, except you're more tired. Everything else we do is just tinsel and mirrors. And those are the 10 commandments of a company officer. And again, I didn't come up with that list. It was a list that was given to me as a brand new rookie firefighter at Fire Station 6 in Henrico County by one of the greatest firemen I've ever met in my life. I don't know if he would want me to mention his name because he's very humble, and that's why he's so great. He's very humble. He is 100%, and I'm telling you, I don't, I don't say this with, with, with any disrespect, okay? This is all respect in the world. He is 100% the level of an Andy Fredericks, a Ray McCormack, a Curtis, any mentor you have in the fire service, this guy, to me, is on that level. He's on that level. He is the absolute best fireman I've ever met. And that's just, those 10 commandments are just the tip of the iceberg of the knowledge that he's imparted in me. So I felt like it was very appropriate, especially with all the stuff that's been going on to try to refocus the fire service in that direction. Especially if you're listening, you know, in a more local, local aspect, because a lot of those things affect a more lo local, but they're globally applicable. So I hope that that gets you motivated. I hope that that has helped you recalibrate and refocus your efforts for the fire ground and for emergency services, which is exactly where we need to be every day. Exactly where we need to be every day. All the other stuff, the way I look at it, if the fire service is or your fire department is a solar system, right? And everybody knows our solar system. We all ro rotate around the sun, right? And our, if your fire department's a solar system, the sun is operations. And everything else, and when I say operations, I mean like fire ground operations, EMS operations, like everything. All of, our, all of our energy is right there. And everything else rotates around that. Everything else takes a back seat to that focal point. And everything else should be done to support the operations of your fire department, not the other way around. Operations should not be supporting all these other things. It should always be operations focused and always be operations first. Period and end of story. And there may be some pundits out there. Feel free to disagree with me, but I guarantee, but you're never going to convince me that operations isn't the focal point. You're never, ever, ever going to convince me. Ever. 
So you can save your your hateful comments for someone who's willing to listen to it because I'm not. I'm not willing to listen to anybody saying that administration or all these other initiatives are more important than operations. It's just not true. We don't exist to do those other things. We do them because no one else is willing to do them. And we do them because we are a, a department, a fire department, a fire service based on service. And we don't let people suffer and we don't push people aside. So if they need a smoke detector, we go give them one. If they need help because they're, you know, they're, they're mentally ill or they have a bad living environment, we, we go help them. That's what we do, and that's all great. But we can't let those things take away from good fire ground and good emergency incident operations. We cannot let it take away from it. We cannot let it take away from it. So get refocused, get recalibrated. And make it happen. Like I talk about with any of the podcast, like every podcast rather, I couldn't do what I do without the help of some amazing people. The first, Taylor's Tins. They make metal helmet fronts for your helmet. Those things are awesome. I wear one on my helmet every day. It's been in fires. I've beat them up. It's fallen out. I've recently got assigned uh, as a command team member for my fire department. And so it rides around in a buggy all day and that bug, it has fallen out the buggy on the ground. And it still looks like it's like brand new, like first day I got it. I get more compliments on that shield than I have for, or helmet front than I have for anything else that I've ever worn or, or uh, used in the fire service. So go to taylorstens.com and make sure that they get, that you're going to talk with Taylor. It's not just some click down thing. He's going to give you concept art. It's going to be a custom shield or helmet front made for you. So go to taylorstens.com, stop burning up leathers, and start wearing Taylor's Tens. The other company is Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear, the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove, they are made for work. I wear a pair every day. I've started to convert other members of my fire department. They, it is so much that they're starting to sell out. Like They can't keep up with the demand. That's how good these gloves are. I've got guys in my fire department waiting for them. They're they're so good. They've worn my pair and they're like, man, I've never felt gloves like this ever. They're so awesome. Okay, they're so awesome. Go to VanguardSafetyWear.com or DingusFire.com and get you a pair of MK1 fire gloves. Also, they've got the rescue gloves out now. They've got a whole host of other stuff. So go to those guys and get them here. Tell them the average Jake sent you and uh, Vanguard Safety Wear, made for work. Lastly, the Fireground Commander Conference, March of 2020 in Henrico County, Virginia at the Henrico Theater. If you've been listening, our we highlighted three of the speakers that are coming uh, to the Fireground Commander Conference on these little mini episodes of the podcast. Man, go to EmbraceTheResistance.com and sign up today. Click, click on the tab that says Conference and sign up today. Join us. We are approaching a sellout for the very first time ever. This is the third year of the conference. We've had about 200 people show up both other years. We are well over that now. We only have about 80 to 70 spots left in the conference. And with over a, with just about a month to go before we start, it is, go, it, it is a, a distinct possibility this thing might sell out. We're working on some other things, some after-hours events, and uh, some of those details will be coming out soon. But this is going to be our biggest and best one yet. We're up in our production value. There's going to be shirts. There's going to be hats. Some of the best speakers on the on the uh, 
on the circuit. You're talking Bobby Holton, Steve Robertson, Nick Martin, Andy uh, Sacadado, John Burris, OJ from Magic City Truck, all these guys. A lot of these guys have been featured on the podcast, and they're featured in FDIC, and it's still only $150 for three days of lecture. We feed you every day. There's snacks every day. It's going to be our best one yet. I can't wait. And what are you waiting for? Go ahead and join us. Be one of those last ones. Let's sell this thing out for the very first time. Okay? Let's sell this thing out for the very first time. And when you show up, make sure that you buy some shirts. Make sure that you buy some raffle tickets because the money for those things, it's not going in our pockets. We're not like some of these other conferences out there that are selling hats and shirts and swag so that we can put money in our pockets. The money that we're going to collect for for tickets uh, for the raffles and tickets for uh, – because what we're going to be raffling off is is uh, conference passes to other conferences. We're talking about like Firemanship PDX, some stuff from, uh, from Kurt Isaacson, uh, County Fire Tactics, all these other great conferences. We're going to be raffling them off. If you buy a raffle ticket, but we're not taking that money and putting it in our pocket. That money is going to go to the Central Virginia Burn Foundation and also go to firefighter Kevin O'Connell's family. Uh, Kevin O'Connell was a firefighter that unfortunately succumbed to suicide uh, last year, and we want to continue to support his wife and kids, and uh, you know through making money through that stuff. And again, that that stuff's not going in our pocket; it's going straight to his family. So show up; it's going to be a great time. You're going to be supporting some good causes, and you're going to be getting a tremendous learning experience. I can't say enough about it. Fireground Commander Conference, EmbraceTheResistance.com. Click on the tab that says Conference, and then you'll be able to find it your way to the registration site, and uh, you'll be able to get registered and join the best conference in Virginia, hands down. It's a passion project of mine and my friend Ben Martin and my other friend Taylor Goodman, all guys that work for my fire department. We, you know, this was Ben's vision and he was, and I'm so thankful that he was able to bring Taylor and I in to help him realize his vision. And man, it's just been a tremendous experience. We're already planning for the fourth one. So trust me, this one ain't going away. Uh, you know, we'll be coming back. We've already got some great speakers. We've got great speakers for this year. We got great speakers already lined up for next year. So embrace the resistance.com. Click on the conference tab and join us today for the fire ground commander conference in March. And lastly, you know what we do. Make sure you're spending three hours every day making yourself better for the fire service. Spend one hour every day in the gym working on your physical fitness, making sure you're ready for the job and the physical rigors of being a fireman. Make sure you're spending one hour every day in the library. Read an article. Listen to a podcast. Watch a YouTube video. Talk tactics. Don't just sit at the kitchen table and talk about the XFL. Just a little joke. But sit at the kitchen table and talk tactics. Play an episode of a podcast at lunch instead of watching the news. You're not learning anything about the news anyway. Play an episode of the Grabs podcast. Those are short, sweet, to the point. You can do them during lunch and you can learn how to make rescues better. But spend an hour in the library. And make sure you're spending an hour every day doing some sort of hands-on training. You don't got to be, they don't always have to be crazy. You don't have to be fully PPE'd up, dressed out, and breathing air to get good, valuable sets and reps. You can go out on the drill ground with your gloves on and stretch hose or practice masking up. It doesn't have to be crazy to get valuable sets and reps. Make sure you're spending one hour 
every day doing some sort of hands-on training. You do that. One hour in the gym, one hour in the library, one hour hands-on training. You do that. I guarantee you become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. Thanks for listening. Stay safe but aggressive. I'm out.